You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Man, what a Super Bowl it was. The Kansas City Chiefs taking down the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. to Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game. Matt Miguez, the game hotline is 337-706. 0111, that's 706 0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In a game where one of the big talking points was the defensive pass rush of the Philadelphia Eagles. It was absolutely non-existent. Patrick Mahomes does not get sacked a single time. Throws the lowest number of yards by a Super Bowl MVP. And yet finds a way to make history. First quarterback or first player in NFL history to win multiple league MVPs and multiple Super Bowls. In his first six seasons, bringing the producer extraordinaire and my co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, was this one of the better Super Bowls in recent years? Yeah, it was definitely one of the best ones overall. You know, watching this game, obviously it started off with the Eagles having that great drive going down the field and scoring the Chiefs answer with that big play the big over-the-shoulder throw to Travis Kelsey to tie the game. And then you had the bomb to A.J. Brown. There were a lot of big explosive plays in this game, which, which was different than, than most Super Bowls of the past. Because like you look at last year, the Rams and the Bengals, there weren't many big plays in that game. It just it was two offenses that methodically just kind of moved the ball down the field, and, and right there at the end the Rams found a way to win the game. But this game was full of exciting, explosive plays. Jalen Hurts put on an absolute clinic in in a losing effort, rushed for 70 yards and three touchdowns while throwing for 304 and another touchdown. But, you know, you look at it, and and again, we'll, we'll go back to that same conversation about the pass rush. That was the conversation all week. How are the Chiefs going to be able to hold up against the Philadelphia pass rush And I think the Chiefs' offensive line did a pretty good job. I mean, once again, Patrick Mahomes didn't get sacked a single time. And the only time that his ankle came into play was when he got rolled up on by, um, drawing a blank on who who tackled him, but the the Philadelphia player who brought him down rolled up on his ankle. T.J. Edwards. Yeah, thank you. T.J. Edwards. Um, That that was the only time where, where Mahomes looked gimpy and looked like he could be in jeopardy and everybody said okay well Philadelphia's up 10 at halftime Mahomes is hurt you know we can kind of see how this one's going to end and Mahomes played perfectly in the second half perfectly orchestrated great offense to both Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore that whip route was that was just open all night long um you sell a shallow cross, go back out. I mean, it's 
It was there all night. Um, Isaiah Pacheco ran out of his mind for most of the game. Travis Kelsey played really well at the tight end spot. Uh, six targets, six catches. Can't get much better than that. James, what were what were your overall thoughts on uh, on the game? I I was shocked that Isaiah Pacheco was able to run so effectively. I thought that defensive line would have let a came up came into play a lot more, but there were a couple times where I looked at those big runs that he had. That second one, if that guy didn't like take his feet out from under him, correct, that have been, been, been gone. That'd have been a huge touchdown right there. Yeah. Now talking about running games, one thing that I am surprised at, we talked about Jalen Hurts' run, rushing numbers. I was surprised at how ineffectively Philadelphia was able to run the ball other than Jalen Hurts. Yeah, there were quite a few times I I watched them. Uh, I I didn't I didn't have a good feeling that Miles Sanders was going to have a good game because if you know anything about Miles Sanders and his Philadelphia career, he'll have a good game where he's like gets 20 carries, 100 yards, multiple touchdowns, and then there'll be a game like this where he gets 7 carries for under 20. And you're like, yep. what's wrong? And you just saw a couple of times. You saw Boston Scott, you saw Miles Sanders, and you saw Kenneth Gainwell. They all Kenneth Gainwell got a couple of okay carries, but overall, I mean, as soon as they got to the line, they were getting stuffed. It was hard for them to get yards after contact. Now, you, you always look at big games like this, and you go, okay, where was the turning point? In your opinion, what was what was the turning point in this game? Which is, To me, the turning point, I would have to... Because the thing to me that allowed the Chiefs to stay in the game was the Nick Bolton fumble Correct. return for a touchdown. That's what kept them alive, because if they went down 24-7, to or at worst, because that drive was still really early... But the way the Eagles looked early on, it's not a guarantee that they would have scored at least a field goal, but you felt like even if they didn't, they more likely not would have run a couple of extra minutes off. Sure. So are you uber confident that they would that the Chiefs would have scored anyway? Like at least a field goal? Not yeah. not not very confident about that. So you feel like that could have been a twenty four to seven halftime and this could have been a completely different game. Yeah, absolutely. So the Nick Bolton was the thing that kept them alive. The turning point I don't know if there was I can't necessarily think of one overall but just the whole second half where the Chiefs they went up tempo Patrick Mahomes didn't have to worry about the pressure because the pressure was coming early on but the whole second half they just figured something out out Andy Reid went deep into his bag and they the whip route was there, like he had said. They did it twice for touchdowns, one for Kadarius Tony, one for Sky Moore. I think the kind of gut punch was the Tony punt return. Correct. Because that set him up to take the lead. The turning point for me was that first drive of the third quarter when Kansas City went down the field, and I believe it was Pacheco that Who punched scored. it into the end zone. Yes. That run by Mahomes... He got like 15 yards, I believe it was. Put him at the five. You're talking about the long one where he scrambled? Yeah. That play right there on that drive, that was the turning point for me. Because that run proved to you that Mahomes wasn't going anywhere, the injury wasn't really bothering him, and he, he was going to do whatever it took for them to get back into that game. That was the turning point for me. That was a, it was a 26-yard scramble. 26-yard scramble. Because it, it took forever. Yeah, that was that was the play where I said, okay, 
Kansas City has a serious shot at this thing. They they set themselves up pretty. Yeah. Um. So you know we'll obviously continue talking about the Super Bowl throughout today's program and if you want to get in on that conversation as well you can do so on the game hotline 337-706-0111 we also have some college softball to get to men's and women's college basketball the pelicans and a whole lot more our guest list today koki riley joins us at 5 30 to talk all things lsu we'll recap lsu women falling to south carolina and LSU men losing their 12th consecutive game. And we'll preview some LSU baseball as well. And then at 4.30, Jay Walker will join us to talk all things Cajuns. Cajun men drop two on the road. Softball wins all four of their games. And we will touch on college baseball getting started this weekend as the Cajuns will travel to Rice. Looking at some top stories, we'll stay in the NFL now. Derek Carr informed the Saints yesterday that he would not be seeking a trade with the Saints. And coincidentally, shortly after, he was released by the Las Vegas Raiders and is now a free agent. The Saints are obviously still in the picture here because according to Ian Rappaport, The Saints are still interested in Derek Carr and vice versa. Derek Carr is still interested in the Saints. But what him being a free agent does is that opens up the opportunity for other teams in need of a quarterback to go after him as well. The New York Jets. the Some people would even say the Green Bay Packers. The Carolina Panthers. The Atlanta Falcons. There's teams in the mix... The Las Vegas Raiders, probably not. But the 49ers, maybe, potentially. There's a ton of moving pieces here for the Derek Carr scenario. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a free agent as well. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. So the Saints have... You know one that I just thought about that could be interesting? Who's that? I'm going to play for his older brother's team the Houston Texans. Yeah. That one that one would be interesting. Yeah, I think they're going to draft. They they probably will, but doesn't but mean I, they can't they doesn't mean they wouldn't do their due diligence to be like, "Eh, well, yeah, the, we'll, a conversation. We'll see, we'll see if he wants to come for like an interview. A conversation could be had for sure. Um, but but I think D'Amico Ryan's kind of wants to start from the ground floor and just take the time to work its way up. But uh this doesn't mean that the Saints are out of it. I mean, obviously, they're, they're still in the conversation. The, the concern, though, is the money. How much is Derek Carr going to ask for? How much is he going to be willing to to take? Because the Saints don't have a whole lot of money to spend. Right now, they're $60 million over the cap, and I know people say, oh, well, you know, Loomis will, will figure that out, and, and likely so. He probably will. But you also got to look at who you're going to have to pay in the next year. You know, you're looking at some O-linemen, you're looking at some D-linemen, some linebackers. Marshawn Lattimore just got paid. You've got pieces that... You're, you're going to you're gonna look to pay Carl Granderson and pay Caden uh, Ellis yeah. soon. So Same I mean, thing with Pete, Pete, uh, Pete Warner. Warner. You, you've got pieces that you're going to have to pay in the next year or two. 
So you have to factor that in as well. You know, if you're going to re-sign Pete Warner, can you really afford to pay a quarterback $25 million a year? By my count, there is nine teams that should or that should be in the run. Okay. And I'm including the Packers. Okay. The, the Jets. Uh-huh. The Packers. Uh-huh. Colts, Texans. Okay. All NFC South teams. Okay. And the Rams. I think the Rams need a quarterback? Maybe I, if they move on to me if they move on from Stafford. Who else who else they got a quarterback? I mean, I understand, but I I don't I haven't seen any indications that they would be moving on from Matthew Stafford. They haven't necessarily, but to me Stafford's on the way down, so at this point I would try and move on. Interesting. Interesting. The levels of if it would work differs, of course. Like Saints, Jets, Panthers, Bucks, like all the NFC South teams. Those would be higher up, and then you would have like the Packers and the Texans and the Rams lower. But those are the nine teams in my eyes that you could see Derek Carr going to. That's fair. The level of interest and percentage that he would go there differs for sure, but those are teams that I see. That's fair. Uh, also, the New Orleans Pelicans playing tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Of course, the news came out yesterday that Zion Williamson will be sidelined even longer after he re-aggravated the hamstring injury that he's been dealing with for the last couple of weeks. So the the talks of him coming back after the All-Star break, that has been axed. Uh, right, right now, I'm sure the Pelicans are hoping that he is ready for the postseason at, at this point. But uh, we have a great show for you today. Once again, hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. You'll also hear from Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey a little later on in the show. We'll continue Crunch Time right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Join us for a day of golf and giving at the game's charity golf scramble benefiting Redbird Ministries. Hit the link at Farm D Alley while supporting a great cause with all proceeds from the tournament going towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff at the game. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together and register now at 1037thegame.com, and together we can make a difference. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your poll question of the day. What was Kansas City's most important play in the Super Bowl? Was it Mahomes' 26-yard run late in the game? Bolton's scoop and score? Tony's 65-yard punt return, which was the longest in Super Bowl history? Or other so far? Bolton's scoop and score is in the lead 37.3%. 33% say the punt return. 17% say other. 12% saying the 26-yard run by Mahomes. Taking a look at some of the comments, John Paul says, 
With most of us being Saints fans, you know it was the phantom pass interference call on a third down with the game tied and under two minutes to go. Look, wasn't a phantom call. It was there. When it was, I'm not going to say that it was egregiously obvious, but if if it was obvious enough that the player had to say in a post-game presser when speaking with the media, yeah, I held him. I was hoping they'd let it go. There's a flag. I understand that it was late in the game and it's ticky-tack and they hadn't really been calling ticky-tack penalties throughout the game, letting them play for the most part. And, you know, that it created a, a crap ending because from that point the Chiefs just ran the clock out and kicked the field goal. But it's still there. And we, we can't sit here and say, oh, there was no call. They just called it because they wanted to change the outcome of the game. No, that's crap. It was a third down play. James Bradbury got beat. And what are you always told as a defender when you get beat? Do not give up the touchdown. So what did he do? He grabbed his jersey to draw a penalty to give his defense a a second opportunity. He knew that it would be an automatic first down, but they weren't going to get beat that way. He did what any other defensive back would have done in that situation. You, You see guys all the time take you know, egregious pass interference penalties just to, you know, give themselves another chance and not get burnt. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm 80 plus percent certain if Bradbury doesn't pull on Tony or Smith-Schuster, he's probably scoring. James is looking at me crazy because he thinks the ball was heavily underthrown. I don't think it was that badly underthrown. I I think Smith-Schuster would have gotten there if he wouldn't have been held up. Well, it's not like Bradbury really altered his route. It's not like he slowed him down. Yeah. That that one-fourth of a step, the ball was five, seven yards ahead of him. I don't think that fourth of a step would have ended up being a touchdown for him. No, that, that ball was... Pretty much at the pylon, and by the time Juju got there, it was, it was, it was way too far. I think I think it was closer than that. Mm, no, I th- I've shot. I think it was closer than that. But r- regardless, was if if we're going by the rules, was it technically a holding? Yes. My issue, like you had said, I don't think it was something that needed to be called because were the Chiefs just going to kick the field goal anyway? Yeah. Well, they've gone up three anyway, more likely than not. And you you could have said, well, then the Eagles would have had a chance. And to me, I hadn't seen the Eagles really need to do a two-minute drill to win the game all season. So the, I, I had no basis on that to be like, oh, well, then the Eagles would have easily tied it with a minute 20 left and then and then had to go to overtime. There was no guarantee. To, more likely than not anyway. At, when they got that punt return and they got that first down, them scoring the touchdown, then getting the first down right before the two-minute warning with the Mahomes scramble. At that point, I was like, yeah, the Chiefs are winning this one. That that penalty just iced it on the cake for them. You see, I, I think if Jalen Hurts would have gotten the ball back with a minute and a half, I, I think you could have seen a much different outcome. And I, I get that people would have loved to see that, as would I. 
But again, if we're going to say that technically it was there, the flag needs to be thrown. On that big of a play, if there's a flag, if there's a penalty committed, it's got to be called. We can't just say, oh, I mean, he technically held him, but we're not going to call it. Like, what precedent does that set? You, you want to you talk about the league being screwed or, or being rigged? That would be some serious rigging. Well, it's a judgment call. So it's like, do you feel like he altered his route or held him long enough to where he he just absolutely like messed him up? Like that that that's the point of the judgment call. It's like, do you think he did enough and he committed enough physical contact for him to commit a penalty? Well, clearly, clearly, James Bradbury thought he did enough. He got he got asked about. I was like, yeah, I mean, I held him a little bit, but. It's not like it was egregious, like he had said. He said word for word, yeah, I held him. I was hoping they would let it go. Because it was something slight. It's not like it was a big time, I'm holding you back, and you're not going to be able to run this route at all. I still think in that situation, if the penalty is going to be committed, like I said. Because like if, if, that's, if that's how it is, and, you, and it's like we're doing by technicality, wouldn't all offensive linemen or the – all offensive linemen be called for holding every play? 90% of the time? I mean, not necessarily. Because that's that's different. The, the, the rules for an offensive lineman and what they can do are different. For a DB, any grab of a jersey, or a, the body for that matter, is a hold. He had a fistful of his jersey. It's a hold. He got beat, knew he was beat, and didn't want to give up the touchdown. And so he grabbed him by the back of the jersey. We, we can argue all day about how much of a grab there was or how slight it was or, or whatever. The fact remains that he did it. So at the end of the day... Again, did it did it create a, a weak ending to a, a great Super Bowl? Yeah, it did. But it's not like you can just go without calling it. Let's go to the game hotline. James, what's up? Hey, man, I wanted to chime in on the topic of the day, the penalty. Okay. My, my take is, yes, it was a penalty. You can debate all day long whether it should have been called or not. But I think it should have been called like he called the other 55 minutes of the game. Whether you were calling ticky-tack all game or whether you were letting him play, you needed to call the and, last five minutes the same way you called the first half. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. I really don't. And, and, I, and think, I don't I, think that happened. And I think that's been the biggest problem with the NFL officiating is that there's no consistency. Yeah, just my two cents. I'm done. Um, I didn't really have a dog in the hunt. I was pretty ambivalent about the game and didn't really care. I just wanted beer and chicken wings. Right. No, absolutely, man. Appreciate the call. And look, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I that that is the biggest gripe is that there, you know, for fifty five minutes you let them play and then right there at the end you didn't. Because it's like it, I, if you're gonna call it one way, keep it consistent. Absolutely. Because we've seen it before, refs. There are certain crews that throw a lot more than others. 
And it's like we've seen at times, we'll see 15, 20 penalties throughout the game, but when it comes down to it in the final play, and this this is game-altering, and it's like, okay, this one should be a flag, right? No call. Or we saw some penalties here and there, and it was like, well, these were clearly obvious because you jumped off sides or you had a false start. But you're not you weren't seeing any like ticky tacky judgment calls, like James had said. You weren't seeing any of these questionable penalties until the last minute. It was like, well, you could have easily done this with some of these other plays throughout the game, but as soon as we got to the two minute warning and this was a third down, which always seems to come on a third down. It's all it's always on a third because or fourth down always, to reset the to reset the reset the downs. Because it's always a pivotal play. They're always going to call penalties on pivotal plays. They're going to they're going to be looking at it under a microscope on, on third and fourth down. They just are. That's how it's always been. The the switching up of styles is the biggest gripe of. Yep. We're we're going to allow this until the two minute warning when it's a close game and oh the offense could really use a first down or make make it more interesting the other way. It's it's always it's always in the final couple of minutes when it's a pivotal third down that they switch it up and either throw the flag or don't, which is the opposite of what they were doing throughout the game. That's Brandon, the biggest issue. Brandon chimed in on Twitter. It didn't have to be catchable because it was holding before the ball was thrown. He also lobbed it in the vicinity of Juju because he saw the holding, which is why he immediately pointed. Also, I don't think he throws the flag had you not seen the jersey stretched out on the initial grab. Which is That, that last part's a very fair point. The jersey isn't pulled on. I don't think they call it. I think they let it go. But that first grab was, I mean, it was there. I, I don't think it was the second, because everybody's, oh, there's two separate instances where he grabbed him. I think it was on the first one, right as he cuts into the whip route. I think that's the part that they called because he had his arm around the back of his waist grabbing his jersey. Yes, the the part where he just had his hand on his back, that's nothing. That that's not that's not a penalty. I think it's the first part that the, the referees were calling. But either way, I I do agree that the consistency is the biggest problem. But again, I'm going to advocate that if it's there, I think you have to call it. But I I will agree with the people that say you called it one way for you know, 90% of the game, why change it now? I agree with that. It's just, it's one of those judgment calls that went the wrong way at the end of it. But, you know, we'll take a time out here. Jay Walker joins us next to talk all things Cajuns right here on the game. Going deep downfield. He's got a receiver. It's caught. Touchdown, Louisiana. Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns Corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Jay Walker. Happy Monday, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. I was in the office at about 7.15 this morning, so I'm about ready for a nap. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you uh, getting to work that early. But, you know, let's start with, with, with the road trip for men's basketball this past weekend. You go to Hattiesburg, and you have a five-point lead going into the halftime break, and then the the, the Boston Celtics leprechaun just <laughs> sat in your basket and never let you score another one. Uh, what, what went wrong in Hattiesburg, in your opinion? 
Well, I, it was a couple of things. The biggest, the biggest thing was they didn't shoot it very well. I mean, they, they had the lowest field goal percentage of the year. And, you know, Jordan Brown was, was uh, very um, effective uh, in the first half, not as much in the second half. And, you know, p- part of the reason why the Cajuns have been so good this year is because you've got Jordan Brown and they pay a lot of attention to him. And then when they do, Williams and Garnett and Charles and, and Dalcourt are hitting three-point shots, and so it's pick your poison. But if you're not shooting it well from the perimeter, now you can pay even more attention to Brown and kind of neutralize him a little bit. I think that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, they uh, they let Hase get untracked uh, in the second half. They held him scoreless in the first half, which was crazy. But, you know, he's a guy who's, who's going to go out and get you 15 to 18 every night, and he got 17 in the second half. Um, and they, they, the Cajuns didn't have an answer for him defensively. But I think the biggest issue was they just didn't make enough shots. And, you know, you go into that environment, and by the way, it was the best road environment that I've seen in a Sunbelt Conference game since the days of Western Kentucky. I mean, it, it was just great. And it was it was great for the league. It was great to broadcast from. I, I you know, obviously, Southern Miss had a big boost from the crowd. Um, I don't think that I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't. I was not surprised the Cajuns didn't win the game because I thought it would be a very difficult task to begin with. Uh, but I thought it was a game they could win, uh, and if they shot the ball better, maybe they would have. But man, I'll tell you what, that was a that was a tough place to play on Thursday. And kudos to the fans at Southern Miss for turning out. And then you turn around and, and travel up to Troy, and then just a, a game where it looked like the Cajuns never really got going. Uh, just kind of seemed stagnant for, for most of that game, falling 80 to 65. How much did Thursday night play into that one? Uh, I think it did a little bit. Um, you know, they, Coach Marlin was asked today, was there a hangover? And, and he said no, and I agree with that. Because look, they had a five point lead at halftime, all right? They weren't playing great, but um, but they had a five point lead at the half. So, you know, I I, I think that takes care of was there a hangover? Because if there was, it would have showed from the beginning. But I think what happened was all of the all of the effort, all of the emotion, everything from Thursday bit them in the second half. I, they looked a step slow, looked like they lost their legs. Barry McKnight, who does the the TV for Troy, but normally is their radio guy. First thing he said to me, he said, "Man, he said, you guys just lost your legs at halftime," and 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 I would tend to agree with that. I, I think that was the biggest thing. Fatigue got them, and you know sometimes mental fatigue will cause you physical fatigue. I mean, look, you went to college, you know what it was like at the end of finals, right? Oh yeah. It's it's not like you went out and lifted weights, but by the time finals were over with, you wanted to sleep for a month, and um, I, I think that. I think that played a part in what happened uh, in the second half because they they were step slow guarding, they were step slow getting to the basket, and once again they had trouble shooting from the outside. You know, Jalen Dalcourt hit a few buckets for him, but man, that was about it. Chatting with Jay Walker here on Cajuns Corner. Now the Cajuns are going to go home. They play ULM on Thursday night, a game where you know we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when you traveled up to Monroe, that's a tough group. That is a a physical group, uh, but it is one that you you have beaten already, and you know 
what it takes to beat them and you know what it takes to defend your home court as well. How big is it going to be to get back on track at home against the Warhawks? Well, well, everything's big from here on out. I mean, you know, if the, you know, the Cajuns, I think, still believe they have a chance to win this thing. But there's, but the margin for error is gone now. You know, the only thing that you can do is win your last four and hope that Southern Miss stumbles a couple of times. And they've got you look. Most of the the rest of their season is on the road, and so they've got a couple of tough ones still ahead of them. Um, but you have no margin for error now. Now ULM. Except for last Thursday, when they just, I, I think they shot 20 something percent at home against Appalachian State. They couldn't throw it in the ocean. With exception of that, they've been really good on Thursday, and I think that's the concern. Because ULM, uh, you know, they, they only play six guys. Uh, they usually have a lot of energy on Thursday, and it's usually gone on Saturday. So, you know, they're going to get ULM's best shot, and, they, and, and the Cajuns have better be ready, and they better shoot the ball better than they have the last couple of games. Uh, because on nights they don't shoot the ball, they're going to be very vulnerable. Diamond Sports now softball going four and zero opening weekend of the Louisiana Classics. The and the the freshmen were, were the ones that really you know s- stepped up, especially Victoria Valdez, six RBIs on the opening weekend, hitting six sixty seven opening weekend. What were your thoughts on uh, on Jerry Glasgow's weekend? Well, you did what you're supposed to do with bad softball teams. And, and trust me, those are two bad softball teams that the Cajuns played. And I don't say that to disparage anything the Cajuns did. I mean, they outscored them, what, 44-1 to one or whatever it was. Um, but those aren't good teams, okay? I mean, let's be real here. Uh, here's, here's my thought as you get ready to go and play against very good softball teams uh, next week. I looked at the box scores from the four games. Five hit batsmen, one error, and I think uh, five, one, six, uh, another half dozen walks. That's 12 free base runners that you gave up in four games. Now, if you're going to go to clear water and you're going to give up an average of three freebies per game to some of the elite teams, that's not going to bode well for you. So that's got to get cleaned up, okay? you got to make the competition coming up earn what they get. You can't give them anything because they're good enough to where if you start giving them stuff, they're good enough to bury you, at least a couple of three of these teams are. So that's my takeaway from over the weekend. Look, I think this team's got a lot of talent, and I think this team's going to score runs, and I'm with you on the talent of the freshmen. But they got some stuff they got to clean up. You know, we you can't just you know sit there pound your chest and say, "Hey, we're four and zero and we beat these people forty four to one." You got you got you've got to be able to go out over those next seven games, and you know Tony Robichaux used to say this, Matt, when you'd play really really good teams, and when you start talking about playing Arkansas and Oklahoma State and Florida State and some of the teams that you're going to play. He used to say they make you play an imperfect game perfectly. And that kind of stuck in my head when I was looking at these box scores because you can get away with making mistakes against Lafayette College and Stephen F., but you're not going to get away with it against these other teams. If you go out and you don't walk people and you don't hit people and you don't kick the ball around and you still get beat, that's okay. 
but you can't come home with regret saying, well, we won X number of games, but we could have won two more except we gave them away. You can't do that. So that's what I'm going to be looking for when I go with this team to Clearwater next week. I'm going to look for them to play clean softball and see how they do with that. You know, looking at their schedule of games, they start off with Indiana and Michigan. Indiana's a team they're familiar with, played against them just last season. You know, tough competition, I think four games in, in this six-game stretch that they're going to be in Clearwater or against top ten opponents. Um, you know, in your opinion, Jay, how many games do they have to win in order to make a statement while they're there? Oh, oh gosh, I'm not even going to go there. I, I will say this, though. It, it kind of – I like the way the schedule sets up, okay, because you've got an Indiana team that they defeated last year. You have a Michigan team who's perennially pretty good, but Carol Hutchins is has um, Carol Hutchins is retired, so they have a new coach this year, and I don't think they're being as highly valued preseason as they have been in some other seasons. So you go out and you get the kinks out with those two, and then after that we're going to find out how good you are because those other teams that they're going to play. Florida State and Arkansas and UCLA. I mean, you're going to find out then just how good you are, how you measure up, because you're talking about softball royalty that you're going to play after those first two. So go take care of your business the first two, get a little confidence built up, and then go play the others and see what happens. Um, you know, I don't I sure don't expect them to go seven and zero, coming you know UCF at the back end. You know, but if if you can play 500 or close to it, I think you've had a good week. And um, but you know, Jerry said today he said the Indiana game is huge for him because this is a team they're probably going to be favored to defeat, and you've got to go get that first one first, and then you can worry about the rest of them. But that first one's going to be really important. I agree with exactly what he said earlier today. And then you also heard from Matt Deggs today. Their their season gets underway Friday in Houston. Now, I know you won't be with the team like you normally are, but Coach Deggs did unveil his, his weekend rotation with Jake Hammond pitching on Fridays, Blake McGahee on Saturday, and then Jackson Neza on, on Sunday. What are your thoughts on his rotation, and then what are your thoughts on Max Marshak playing third base? Well, you know, first of all, um, you know, Hammond on Friday, you heard Tony and you've heard Matt Deggs talk about, too. They like a guy who goes out and pitches with intent. And Jake Hammond's going to go out, and, 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 and he's going to go out there um, with, with intent. He's, he's going he's to go out there, and he's going to be ready to throw down. And, and I don't know if he has the stuff that some of the Friday night guys have had for the Cajuns in the past. But he's got that kind of throwdown, and um, so I think that's a good way to start the weekend. Bo McGee is is a guy that I believe that Matt believes is going to be a star before it's over with. Uh, you know, he didn't pitch for Ole Miss last year. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, he's out of uh, Tioga, and uh, I know that they like him a lot. And he's made great strides during the fall. And, you know, Jackson Nazo is, is a guy that, you know, he very highly touted out of Florida State a year ago and then 
you know, just had some some bad luck, and 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 you know, he had a lofty ERA, and I think he was ready to get out of there. I think the change of scenery is going to help him a lot because he's got very very good stuff. Uh, as far as Marshak at third base, you know, I I have a my opinions. I always try to make them based on data. Okay, and I got no data for this move to third base. But what's the difference between playing second base and third base? What's the difference? Well, if you're playing second base, you've got to turn the double play. And I, I don't know if that's the reason they moved him to third is because he struggled to turn the double play. Um, but that's the biggest difference between being a middle infielder and a corner infielder. So, um, you know, Marshak's got a great arm. Uh, his glove is not a question. And, you know, Matt said, you know, we did okay moving TR to third base last year and, and from center field. So yeah. we'll see. Um, but that but that makes second base now interesting for this for this first weekend. Um, I, 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 I've got to wait and see attitude about all of that. Um, I was... I did not know that they had moved them. I was really surprised to hear that today. Yeah, that's what the first couple series are, are, are for, right, Jay? Just kind of figuring out who oh. goes where and what works. Uh, absolutely. That's why you got four weeks. That's, you know, to, well, you get roughly about 16 games to try to figure some things out before conference play begins. And the great thing is, after this weekend, okay, you're going to play three in Houston. And then you have got this huge flux of home games coming. Yep. Um, you know, you're going to play four against BYU, then you're going to go to McNeese. And then March comes, and in March you've got the trip to Biloxi to take on Mississippi State in the middle of the week. And then um, next to last weekend in March, you go to South Alabama. Everything yep. else is in Russo Park in the month of March. No, absolutely. So, so you got, you know, I like the way I like the way the schedule sets up. Because they got questions they need to answer, and they're going to get to answer them at home, and that's a good thing. Jay Walker, voice of the Cajuns, appreciate you as always. Safe travels to uh, to Clearwater, and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, actually, you won't. I won't be available next week between Mardi Gras and Cajuns having a four this game guy. series at home and all that good stuff. But we'll um, we'll talk the week after, and we'll have an awful lot to talk about. This guy, appreciate you, Jay. All right, man. Thank you. We'll wrap up our number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game is throwing you something far better than cheap plastic beads. This Mardi Gras, score a $500 Visa gift card. Download the game mobile app, open the app, and click on the Mardi Gras Moolah tab, and you'll be on your way to winning $500 in a Visa gift card. It's the game's Mardi Gras Moolah sweepstakes. Download the app, win money. It's just that simple, and it's all from the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got a tweet recently. 
from Kendall Rogers talking about right-handed pitcher Grant Taylor, projected weekend starter for the Tigers, and a number 15 prospect for 2023 MLB baseball class. D1 baseball, he will miss the 2023 season because of a UCL injury. That's a tough loss. Yeah, you know, he there was high hopes for for Grant Taylor and the the load that he was going to be able to carry for LSU this year. You know, there there was talks of him making the re, the weekend rotation uh, uh like you mentioned top 15 in in the draft class. So I mean, that's a huge huge loss for for Jay Johnson, but you know, when you look at this team, the story all season long has been or all off season long has been the depth that they're going to have. Yeah, because you felt a lot better about LSU having a better pitching rotation, but now you're down a guy. So you're going to see just how much depth they have now that Grant Taylor has to miss the entire season with with the UCL injury. What I'm interested to see, though, is the extent of the UCL injury because if it's severe enough, that could result in Tommy John, which could be even longer that he's out. Also, yesterday, obviously the Super Bowl overshadowed a lot of things that went down. LSU women falling to South Carolina 88-64. to We'll recap that game in hour number two. And also, Scotty Scheffler became just the seventh PGA golfer to win back-to-back Waste Management Phoenix Opens we will recap that tournament as well, which included some wild moments just 20 miles south of where they played the Super Bowl. Hour number two coming up next here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time at 502 here on the game. Southwest Louisiana sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In our number one, we touched on the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns as well as the Super Bowl. Here in our number two, we're going to switch gears, talk some LSU women's basketball falling to South Carolina yesterday. We'll talk with Cookie Riley about that get his thoughts on LSU baseball getting underway on Friday and of course some more of the Super Bowl because how, how do you how do you not the Chiefs beating the Eagles 38 to 35 following the victory Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey met with the media and we'll start with Andy Reid talking about the impact from his young guys Isaiah Pacheco, Nick Bolton and a handful of others yeah, I'm proud of those guys, uh, all of them, the young guys. I mean, heck, we have a, all these rookies in the on the back end of the defense, and they kept getting better every week. They brought great energy. Pacheco and the guys on the offensive side, you know, MVS, um, Juju, KT. I mean, these are all new faces, and um, and they, they just stepped up. I mean, they've, they've done that all year, and then, 
here comes KT into this thing late um, from the Giants, and, and he has a couple of the biggest plays of the game. So, I mean, it's, it's been like that. MVS, you know, big plays. Juju tonight, big plays. Uh, Pacheco, big plays. Uh, um, Sky Moore, big play. Uh, it's, uh, you know, these guys, my hat goes off to them. That's a tough thing to do in this league. Man, these are the best players in the world right here, and, and I felt like these were the two best teams. I mean, my hat goes off to Philadelphia. Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman for what they've done with that with that program and and their head coach is a legit guy. He's great for the National Football League. Man, he brings great energy and here he is. He's a young guy uh, and he's in the Super Bowl after his second year. Man, it's a tremendous uh, compliment for for him and the in the city of Philadelphia. So I guess it's Isaiah Pacheco. Pacheco, Pacheco. I mean, potato, potato, right? Like. Does does it really matter? Kelsey Kelts? Like, come on. Patrick Mahomes was asked about how there were so few players remaining from that first Super Bowl team just three years ago. Yeah, I mean it's it's a brand new team. I think I mean every Super Bowl is is something that you'll have for the rest of your life. Um, I think there's only like 12 guys that were on that team that won that first Super Bowl. It might be a, a little bit more, but um, so have a brand new team with a lot of rookies playing um, that, that stepped up. I mean, we were down 10 points at halftime to probably the best, the best team in the NFL all year long. Um, and they, they're, they're known for getting ahead of teams and kind of finishing the game off. And for those guys to step up and make those plays in that second half, man, it, was, it just speaks to the, the hard work they put in every single day. And luckily, a lot of those guys are young, so we'll have a lot of those guys back next year. It's wild to look at just how young and and new the Kansas City Chiefs really were this year and to still be as as dominant as they were. Because, I mean, if you look back to that Super Bowl that was just three years ago, the names that I can vividly remember, like, yeah, those guys were there. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Creed Humphrey at the center spot. That's really it. Chris Jones. Chris Jones. Frank Clark. Frank Clark. Okay, thank thank you for helping me out. Who else? Not many. I mean, you, you look at their secondary. Trent McDuffie's new. LeJerry Sneed's fairly new. Juan Thornhill's only a second-year player. Go to their linebacker core. Chanel's a rookie. Nick Bolton's a second-year player. George Karloftis is a rookie. Like, up and down, there's got to be less than six guys that were on that Super Bowl 54 team that make an impact. Uh, obviously, you know, Chad Henney's been around, um, and he obviously he announced his retirement last night following the win with a with a Bud Light in his hand. Good, good for that guy. Walking off with a bottle of salted water and a Super Bowl ring. Good for good for Chad Henney. But speaking of Patrick Mahomes, he also spoke in the press conference following the win about his quarterback counterpart in Jalen Hurts, who put on an absolute show. Yeah, I mean, if there was any doubters left, there there shouldn't be now. I mean, the way he stepped up on this stage um, and ran through the ball, whatever it took for his team to win, 
I mean, that was a special performance that I, I don't want to get. Lo- I don't want it to get lost in the in the the loss that they had. I mean, even in, whenever we got all the momentum in that game and and we went up eight points in the fourth quarter, for him to respond and move his team right down the football field and run it in himself for the two point conversion, it was a special performance by him, man. And uh, I mean, it, you make sure you appreciate that when you look back on this game. Speaking about Jalen Hurts for a moment, James, this had to be one of the better performances by a quarterback in a losing effort, probably in Super Bowl history. I mean, I don't know that for certain. I'd have to have to go back and look at the other 56 Super Bowls, but I have to feel like this one's up there. It's up there, but you got to give it to Brady. 500 yards. What was it? Three touchdowns? Against losing to the Eagles, 41-33. That's true. He he did throw for 500 yards in that game, didn't he? Mm-hmm. That's fair. Okay. But, uh, again... Yeah, it, it was definitely one of the... It's up there. It was definitely it's one, one of the, of the better, better ones. Yeah, like, if it's it's not one, but you'd have to probably put it about two or three. I mean, I can't tell you how many times... I, I can't remember many times that a quarterback has combined for a total of 375 yards and four touchdowns... And lost. And lost the game. I mean, that is just insane to think about. If you if you're doubting what Jalen Hurts can do in this league, you probably shouldn't be doubting it anymore. Do you do you think the Giants were playing checkers and not chess? Because with Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony and James Bradbury. Ah, that's that's true, huh? Yeah, they're playing the long game. Mm-hmm. They're like, check this out. We're gonna we're gonna cut this guy. He's going to go to the Eagles. He's going to have a holding penalty and a crucial moment in the game. And then Kadarius Tony right before that is going to have a touchdown and a punt return that's going to set up another touchdown for the Chiefs win. But <laughs> wouldn't that make the Eagles look – I mean, wouldn't that make the Giants look bad for letting both of those guys go? Not the James Bradbury part because it helped the Eagles lose. Right, but Brad, it's, it's Bradbury's it's been like one of their we, key it, pieces, though. They weren't using Kadarius. No, I'm, I'm talking or about Bradbury. Bradbury. He's, he's been one of their key pieces all throughout the season. Yeah, I just it, it wasn't working out for him in in New York though. No, I mean I I agree. So it's like eh. But then man, Kadarius a 65-yard punt return. And and what's what's crazy is if you go back to that play, first of all, he had to basically scoop it because it was a low kick. It was a I was like, and oh, then it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good punt at all. And, it was a I, line drive. And obviously, I don't have like a helmet view, so I can't see what he sees. But I had to imagine when he looks up, he saw nothing but dark green. I mean, you you watch the replay, especially of that play, dude. He was dead on arrival. The Eagles just had to reach out, and he was down. And yet, somehow, found a way to reverse field. And had the Kansas City wall behind him. I mean, if he wouldn't have run out of gas and out of room, he he would have scored. And it would have been the first kick slash punt return, first punt return for a touchdown in NFL history or in Super Bowl history. It's never happened. That is wild to think about. Does this mean now that the Sixers are going to the NBA Finals? Yes. Because within the last three months, 
the Phillies lost the World Series. Uh-huh. In the MLS. I don't the know. Philadelphia what, Union. The Union. They lost, lost. to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then That's in the Super Bowl. True. Oh man. Does that mean the Sixers are going to the NBA Finals and losing to whoever's in the West? Like the yes. Suns or something? Yes. Are we gonna see a Suns Sixers Super uh NBA Finals? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who's in the West. But yes. The Sixers are gonna go to the finals and they're gonna lose. And that is going to be the ultimate 0 for 4. Jab to Philly fans. Because everybody talks about how they are ruthless and mean and just you know, unnecessary. They're not very nice. I mean, they're not. That's what I've heard. I've never experienced it firsthand. I was going to say, did you not see how they booed Dak Prescott for getting the well, Walter Payton Man of the Year? That's just a nice, that's just a jab because he plays for a division rival. I, I get it might it not have been so, the great time. No, the timing was horrible. The, the timing was horrible. And then they showed LeBron on the they screen. They booed LeBron. <laughs> I'm sorry, I loved that. That was great. And LeBron... Oh, King me, like, dude, you you crowned yourself. But anyways, with the way that Eagles fans are, are portrayed as that mean, over the top, take things too far fan base, I get that they're one of the most passionate, and that's great. However, there's a line. Watching the Sixers make the finals and lose, you know, trust the process would be the ultimate just jab at Philly sports fans. I'm sorry. I I had to say it. Is it too late to, like, go to FanDuel? Let me see. (laughs) Make a bet that they make the finals. Ooh. I I bet you it's not too late. I mean, it's only the All-Star break. There's no way it's too late. I'm going to have to try this during the commercial timeout. The odds odds might not be as good as they once were, but... No, but even then, it's not like... Let me... So... But while James looks at that, we, we talked about the Derek Carr news ever so slightly. He told the Raiders that he would not accept any trade. The Raiders released him. Now the question becomes, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it more here in, in this next in this next part of the show. Does that benefit the Saints or hurt them? And then if they don't get Derek Carr. Who plays quarterback for the Saints? Because if you look at the free agency market, there's not a lot out there. You got Derek Carr. You got Jimmy Garoppolo. You're probably going to see Ryan Tannehill hit the market. Baker Mayfield? Sam Darnold? Teddy Bridgewater? Taylor Heineke? You, you, you see where I'm going with this. It's not very good. You're, you're picking between fourth and fifth tier quarterbacks. I hate to say it. You might be better off bringing Andy Dalton back. At least he knows your offense. At least there's some familiarity and continuity there. So you can, I'm looking at the NBA finalist. Sixers versus Suns is plus 2,400. Oh, I might throw a dollar on that. That's <laughs> juicy. Just anything that says Sixers. That, Sixers that, versus whoever. That might be <laughs> That might be juicy. I mean, it, it's it's writing itself, right? In, since November, in a three-month span, 
The Union have lost their championship. The Phillies have lost their championship. Actually, if you look at it, the Union and the Phillies both lost on the same day. Mm-hmm. It was They were both November 5th. And then now the, the Eagles lose in the Super Bowl. I mean, what's next? The Flyers are going to make the Stanley Cup Finals and they lose? Like, oh, man. It's absolutely impeccable what is happening to Philly sports fans right now. I mean, oh, man. I, I, I was rooting for the Chiefs, so honestly, I'm happy. I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan, so to, to see the, the Chiefs win the way that they did was, was a lot of fun for me. Uh, and then, again, I just don't like Philly sports teams, so watching them suffer was was just added bonus. Let's go to the hotline. Ralph, what's up? Hey, man, just just real quick, just a thought. Um, I mean, what it, I, I, look, I get Dennis Allen's probably coaching for his job next year, I, I guess, but would it be all that crazy to just roll with Taysom Hill for a year? And if it, it you know, maybe – I mean, he has a winning record as a starter. Maybe it works out, and if it doesn't, worst-case scenario, you're in the Caleb Williams, uh, you know, draft sweepstakes. I mean, and and have Jameis as your backup. That's your two quarterbacks in the contract, you know. Um, I don't know. Jameis Jameis won't be back. Jameis is going to opt out. He has has that in his contract? He has a player option. He's going to opt out. Okay. I thought they had it for one more year. Um, well, I don't blame him. I mean, because I honestly, I think he, you know, I, I think he was treated a little unfairly last year. Um, Absolutely. But uh, I, I mean, look, I mean, Tennessee then, then South is just there for the taking, and um, well, that's the uh, that's the, the that's days. the thing that's the thing we've kind of been talking about. If the Saints end up getting Derek Carr, you instantly become the favorite to win the division. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Now. You know, the best case scenario was actually because I mean, they were, I really didn't want to give up a third for him and a forty million dollar contract and have to start reworking that. But again, the danger now is uh, a potential bidding war with with other teams. I don't know. You know, I'm not sure what his market's going to dictate. But um, there's not a whole lot of, like you said, other options out there. Now, I did hear, hear Jake Delhomme recently on. Um, I think it was Foot Show, and, and he really thinks Sam Darnold has a lot of upside. I, I'm not quite so sure, but I trust Jake's opinion I, over a lot of other people. I, I, I agree. I don't think Sam Darnold's ever been given a fair opportunity in the NFL. Yep. So, all right, bud. Well, that's all I have, man. Ralph, appreciate you, man. Yeah, I mean, the the Derek Carr situation just got a lot more interesting because, like Ralph mentioned, you're going to get into bidding war, and since there's not a lot of options, some he's going to get paid. The question is, is can the Saints sell themselves well enough to get his services? We'll continue this conversation next here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Gentlemen, listen and listen closely. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. And if you need help with it, the Game Clubhouse can help you. You can enter to win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, $50 three-shard seafood patio in Abbeville, $40 to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, 
or $25 to Mabel's Kitchen at Cyber's Bayou Casino Resort. Get your help for Valentine's Day by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so go sign up today. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we're back here on Crunch Time 523 here on your Monday. So let's get back to the Derek Carr conversation. Obviously, we talked about he's not going to be traded. He was released. Now he's a free agent. James, knowing the Saints cap situation, $60 million over the cap. Now I know everybody says, oh, you know, Mickey Loomis always finds a way, and I don't disagree with that. I know he's going to find a way to get back under the cap. Mm-hmm. However, $60 million of cap hell isn't going to disappear in an hour. No. How do you sign Derek Carr when you're $60 million over? Well, I don't think necessarily Derek Carr is going to sign right away to a team. I think it's going to take at least a week. It's going to take a couple of weeks for him to finally make a decision. Cause Can you clear $60 million in a week? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen it before where when it, when it was $110 million and $90 million last offseason, they would get like one or two done a day, and then by the time by by the time they're done, it's like you look at it, oh, there goes $25 million. Oh, there goes another 18 There goes another 30 Just Just with these one or two moves, like... It's sixty million. So within like two days of them making like probably seven, eight moves, you're gonna be like, oh, well, so now, you, now you got seven mil right there, and you're gonna make more, so that way you can have the ability to sign other players. If if you're if you're feeling interesting here, that's one way to put it. Okay, the Super Bowl odds for Super Bowl Fifty Eight have come out. The Saints are chilling at plus thirty five hundred. I'll put a penny. So if you if you're feeling if you're feeling high on this team, I'm not sure why you would, but if you are, you know, something to look at or if if you think that Jeff Saturday, aka El Jefe, mm-hmm. is going to get hired by the Colts and just, you know, redeem them plus 25,000, baby. Plus 25,000. You know what a dollar would win you? Like 250 bucks. That's wild. Twenty eight thousand for the Texans. Twenty eight thousand for the Texans and the Cardinals. The Saints have the highest odds in the NFC South. Yes, the Saints have the highest odds in the NFC South. On 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 what on what grounds is is what I would like to know, and that's coming from a guy that has spent his entire life cheering for the New Orleans Saints. What did you see in twenty twenty two? that said, you know what? The Saints have the best chance of this division to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I looked at it and we went over like largest deficits at any point in these games and a vast majority of the time it's not like they were really getting blown yeah, out. Yeah, I know, I know. That's that's the thing. But it's not going to happen this year because the NFL has this trend. If if you if you buy into the rigged philosophy, Okay. The NFL, buy into the script. The NFL has this trend the last couple of years where they like to see home teams host a Super Bowl. Right? It's mm-hmm. happened twice, and before that, it never happened. It's happened twice in like the last three seasons. Tampa and then... L.A. Yeah, the Rams. So this year, it's going to be in Vegas. 
So now, you I'm, think it's I'm, not, I'm not saying the Raiders <laughs> are going to make it. Well, to be fair, this one, this last one yesterday was in Arizona. Correct. But if it's going to happen again, I would not be surprised if the Saints somehow find a way because it's a good story. So you're saying Raiders Saints? I'm, I'm talking in about the- next year because next year it's in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Super Bowl Fifty Nine okay. is in New Orleans. So the Saints are going to struggle this year, mm-hmm. get Caleb Williams, mm-hmm. and the rookie leads them to the Super Bowl in their home stadium. Jesus Christ. No, you, don't. <laughs> you heard it here first. and Probably here, here last. Probably. But when they, when they script the movie, just make sure that credit is given where credit is due. That, that's all... That's all I've got to say. But no, but ser- getting back to the seriousness of this here. Did Derek Carr denying any trades and getting released help or hurt the Saints, in your opinion? Because I have a thought, but I want to hear what you have to say. I really like, I can see it both ways. I don't think it really makes a difference, I guess you could say. Because <laughs> I. When I'm looking at this, you you got rid of you didn't worry about any other interviews for a trade and you spent all that extra time with the Saints. To me, it that one could he could he very easily go to somewhere else and going and trading and signing with someone, those are two different ways of acquiring a player. So they very easily he could very easily in what I do in in anticipate him to go do is let me go look at Carolina let me go look at Tampa for sure but I don't think like I don't think it's the end-all be-all and now it's like well now the Saints aren't going to get him because there's so many other teams who's to say that Derek Carr right now has the Saints as the number one team who's to say he doesn't have that well even but here's my it's not my my issue with this isn't that oh now there's other teams involved the Saints are just not going to be able to get him. I think the biggest thing holding the Saints back is going to be how much money does Derek Carr want? Mm-hmm. And since we talked about this earlier off the air, since there's so few options, you only got about you you got about a fourth of the league. The market should be interested. The market's gun. The market always dictates based upon what's there. Mm-hmm. Since there's not much there, Derek Carr is going to sit there and go, you know, I could ask for thirty million because somebody's going to have to pay me. I just also think at this point in a veteran's career who's already pretty much gotten paid, at this point, when you're 31, 32, you're not necessarily going to a place for the money. You'd want to go someplace where you feel like this is the right fit. I hope and if you're it's, right. And if it's the right fit, then the player is likely to take a little less money. It's like, could I easily go make 25, 30 million somewhere else? Sure, but I'm willing to take the 20 or less if it means that this gives us a really good opportunity. Look at Tom Brady. like He took a lot of pay cuts throughout his career, so that way the Patriots could help go get other players so they have a better chance of winning. I really hope you're right because the Saints can't afford to pay somebody $30 million right now. They just can't. You've got too many other pieces that you're going to have to pay in the next year or two to where you you just can't have that on the books. Um, so if Derek Carr you know really wants to play for a team that's well put together and he's willing to take less money, then 
you know, New Orleans Saints, come on down. But if he's going to say, look, I feel like I'm the top option in this in this market right now, and there's teams that need me, I could get some money here. I think that takes the Saints out of the picture. And and it does make a lot of a difference. If Derek Carr was like the fourth guy in this quarterback carousel that was available as a free agent, then it, it'd be pretty much a foregone conclusion. But since he's more likely than not, depending on who you talk to, likely the best one that's a free agent, not talking about like Lamar, because that would have to be a trade. With him being the highest or best available, more likely not free agent, that does change things because he could, depending on what he does, if he's only taking like one year, fifteen million with say the Saints or with the Panthers, then that completely changes yep. a whole bunch for everybody else, like Jimmy Garoppolo. But then again, if he takes a while, and Jimmy's like, "All right, well, I can't wait on you to dictate." my market. I'm just going to have to go find my own market. Correct. Like it all that that's what makes this whole thing interesting is like they're all somewhat on the same level. And it's like if one of them takes too long, well then the other one's just going to be like, look, I, I'm not waiting on you. I'm just going to go get my money wherever. Look, I don't love either one of these guys, but based on the market that you're going to have this offseason and how badly the Saints need a quarterback, you've got to get either Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. You got to get one of them, in, in my opinion. And if you don't get either one of them I hate to say this, you just bring a red rifle back and run it back again. I know. I, I hate it too. James is making a, a crying face in his producer, but I I I know. But the continuity and the experience and the familiarity with the offense stands for something. So I don't know. Cookie Riley joins us next. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU women's basketball, 23-1. and Following South Carolina, 88-64. to Yesterday, Cokie Riley of the Daily Advertiser joins us to talk about that. The latest on LSU baseball with the Grant Taylor news and much more. Koki, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Doing great. How's it going? Going well, man. Thanks for asking. You know, you look at yesterday's game between LSU and South Carolina, and I know it got kind of overshadowed in the grand scheme with, with it being Super Bowl Sunday, but it was a game where it, it had been hyped up for a long time, number one versus number three, two best teams in the SEC. Some people would argue the two best teams in the country uh, going at it. And from the jump, it just seemed like South Carolina had an edge over LSU. Yeah, um, I tweeted about this a little bit too. Like, I, I just thought, uh, I just thought South Carolina was the bigger, stronger. Um, I don't want to say more athletic, but they were just they they could come at you in droves, and LSU simply couldn't. And you could just definitely see the roster disparity between the two sides, and you could see how much further LSU still needs to grow, despite the fact that, again, they went their first 23 games undefeated, and yet there's still this, I'd say, fairly sizable chasm between the two programs. It's not, like, astronomical. I don't I don't think it's insurmountable. Uh, they have the coach to do it. They have the resources to do it. It's just a matter of time. You know, there, it, it's going to take time to get, you know, players like Michaela Williams in there, for example. 
um, just to help sort of bridge that gap between um, them and South Carolina. But it's going to take at least a year, probably a couple of years, for them to uh, get up to that South Carolina level. And to be honest, I don't know if anyone is at South Carolina's level. Period. So they might just they might just be on their own perch. Um, so I don't think you should feel too bad about this if you're LSU. Uh, so I, 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 to me, it's um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that sort of dynamic develops over the next few years. Yeah, you know, in, in the press conference after the game, Kim Mulkey was quoted saying, you know, South Carolina's at the top and then there's a large gap between them and everybody else. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think that is the case. I, I think... If I'm not mistaken, UConn was fairly competitive with them, um, so maybe someone could beat them if they had an off day. But it, it, you could just tell that there's LSU is a team that's kind of built off their size, and LSU is just getting beat down because of LSU's lack of size. You know, and, and when your when your strength's getting beat down like that, especially when it's just it, it's just a physical thing like that, then it's really that's. I would say I wouldn't say it's impossible. It's impossible to overcome, but it's pretty close to impossible. And it, you could just tell that there's just a gap between these two programs, and um, it, it's it's just the it's just the reality of the situation. I know there are some calls that went kind of the wrong way for LSU, but um, there's not a lot they could, that they could have done about it, 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 honestly. You know, when you when you look at the game yesterday, Angel Reese's double double streak ended at 23 how impressed have you been i mean 23 wins and 23 double doubles i haven't seen that too many times in, in the sport of college basketball yeah i mean when you play as many minutes as she does and you and you're just that i i guess physically imposing it as she is it's um you can see how it can happen um especially given the fact that lsu hasn't played a very tough schedule uh, I mean, she when she's on the court, she's usually the longest, toughest, strongest rebounder out there. So rebounds just sort of come to her like magnets. And then um, she's obviously a talented scorer in the post. So uh, I mean, combine all that again with the with the slightly easier schedule, and you get a very, very impressive start to the year for sure. Now you know, going forward for this group, the the last couple of games of the regular season before they get to the to the SEC tournament, you've got Florida, Old Miss, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. Two of those are on the road. Two of those are in the PMAC. It's largely believed that you're probably going to win those four games. So you finish 27 and one. You're probably the two seed in the SEC tournament, and more likely than not, South Carolina and LSU are on a collision course for each other in the tournament final. Yeah, I mean, I've felt sad there because. You kind of said it all, right? Um, the SEC is very, 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 very top-heavy. There's two elite teams, two pretty good teams, and then there's kind of everyone else it seems like. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be surprised if LSU loses more than one game from here until the SEC championship final. Like I could see them maybe slipping once, whether it's in the tournament or over these next four games, just because it's hard to win. Uh, uh, that consistently all the time, but um, yeah, but I could also see them just turning this loss into absolute fuel and then just destroying everybody until the SEC championship game, of course. So it's going to be interesting. Chatting with Koki Riley here on Crunch Time, switching over to the LSU men now. It has been well over a month 
since they last won a game, taking down Arkansas 60-57 to back on December the 28th. You know, at this point, you, you get to the, the the spot where you just try to nitpick and, and find some positives. Koki, where, where where are the positives that, that you have seen with this group? Oh, you have a, this is a very good question. Um, honestly, I, I I think I see some interesting stuff from from Sean Phillips at center. Um, he's kind of like grown into that backup center role. They've they've been kind of rotating that spot a, a decent bit this season. Kendall Coleman had it for at one point, um, but now it looks like Sean Phillips has sort of taken that role from him. So yeah, he's he's definitely shown some signs, whether it's on the role as a as a big or even defensively as a shot blocker. So I think that's, I think that's a very positive sign for them moving forward. He's shown some real signs of progress. Uh, I think Tyler Ward had a, had a pretty good game um, uh, against A&M this past weekend. I, I thought he showed some real signs, not just as a shooter, but he was just a lot more aggressive, a lot more confident with the ball in his hands, a lot more comfortable out there. The game looked very fast for him. Um, in the minutes that he's he's shown over the last few weeks, but I think on Saturday he really saw like kind of a difference um, in how he played. Uh, so I think like progress from the young guys like that, like that's the sort of stuff you want to see because yeah, like Justice Hill could play well over the next few games, but I don't know how much that's going to affect you know the bigger picture with this program, right? So you want to see progress from the young guys, and, and they've gotten you know a little snip, snippet of that over the last few games. It's not time to panic with with Matt McMahon, right? You know, it it's still no. it's still year one, right? Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, anyone who is calling for Matt McMahon's job after this year, I think that's extremely overreactive. Um, he had to piece this roster together in like roughly a month, and he lost every single scholarship player he had at one point. He got three of them back, of course, with Adam Miller, Milani Wilkinson, and Justice Williams, but he still had to. Um, bring in a whole truckload of replacements uh, just to, just to fill up the roster again. So, um, I mean, the fact that he's going to have an entire offseason to sort of reevaluate the guys that he has, um, to re- to evaluate the transfer portal, to you know have a whole a whole year of recruiting, like all the all those sort of things need to be. Uh, he needs to get a chance to do all those things before we can even start judging. We and we haven't even mentioned. Uh, the potential sanctions that are, that, are, that could be coming down the program, and, and that will have to be put into consideration as well. And to me, it's just way too early, and um, you really need to give a coach at least a couple of years yeah. of normal off seasons before you really start to evaluate where the program is in general. And they're just there's I know we're heading towards the end of year one, but it's it's really year zero. It doesn't really count as year one, I think. Chatting with Cookie Riley here on Crunch Time. You know, going to LSU baseball now, preseason number one. Dylan Cruz has been talked about as being the, the top pick in this upcoming MLB draft. And now you get hit with the news today that Grant Taylor is going to be out for the season with a torn UCL. Uh, you know, how big of a loss is that for Jay Johnson? And with the conversation all offseason being the depth that the Tigers have, how do you fill the role? Yeah, um, I mean, this is a pretty big loss for LSU. Uh, I, I, I don't think it necessarily sinks their rotation or does anything that drastic, but it does take uh, take off an option, like a really, really high ceiling option for this rotation. I mean, Taylor's a guy who can throw in the, up in the upper 90s is, is with, with movement. 
Um, he, he did a really good job of sort of adjusting, adding a two seamer and a cutter this past uh, over last season, and then was able to sort of implement that in, like deeper into his repertoire during the Cape Cod Baseball League. And you saw the saw the results. He was just fantastic in the Cape League. He had like a two ERA and like twenty one innings pitched um, and against elite competition. So that was a really really good sign to see from him. And so this is really tough news for LSU. I, I thought he was going to earn one of those last two starting spots. That was going to be him and Ty Floyd, then maybe Christian Little. Um, it, those were kind of the three main guys. And now I'd be now I'd expect that Little takes one of the spots, whether it's the midweek spot or the Sunday spot. Um, and then Sam Dutton would be another uh, candidate since he started a little bit last season. And and there's also the freshman Chase Shores and Aiden Moffin. I don't know how ready those guys are to start right away, but. Um, they're definitely talented enough to do so. So they do have some depth and options, which is which is the good news. Like if this happened last season, say Mikhail Hilliard, you know, injured his UCL or or even Ty Floyd, they'd be in a lot more trouble. So that so I guess like the one silver lining is that's why you build up depth in case something like this happens. Um, but it's it, but it still takes off. But it, but you, you still you know you'd rather have a guy who throws ninety plus with. 99-ish with uh, with movement than not. So right. um, it definitely hurts, but I don't think it killed them. Now one more before we wrap up. Koki, did they did they did the NFL mail you a copy of the script on, on accident? <laughs> you got every playoff pick right. Um, no, it, they did not. But I, I would definitely understand if you thought they did. And if you don't believe me, I get it. Um, I've been notorious. If you ask my friends, I've been notoriously not very good at picking things. Um, I'm somewhere between average and below average, but and, but for whatever reason, in this postseason, I got every single playoff game right, and I don't, I I, I can't explain it. It just it just sort of happened, hey. and um, I just kept felt like I was going to jinx myself at some point by talking about it, and then and it just didn't happen. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild. I, you, I don't know, man. <laughs> you got it right. You got it right when it matters, and now you can hold it over your friend's head forever. Yes, that is true. Koki, Koki Riley of the Daily Advertiser joining us here on the Game Hotline. Koki, appreciate you as always. Happy crossover season to you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks again for having me on, Matt. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Delta Media Corps is looking for a self-motivated and hardworking individual to join their team. Delta Media is currently hiring a human resources manager to manage the HR department. Hire, interview, administer, pay, benefits, and more. In addition, looking to add an account executive as well. Training is available, and if you are interested, you can send your resume to Johnette Cochran at DeltaMediaCorp.com. And as always, Delta Media Corporation is an equal opportunity employer. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 555 wrapping up today's show here on Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. As a reminder, the game hotline 337-706-0111. James, we haven't talked about it yet. 
Riri's halftime show. Scale of one to ten, you rate it a what? Initially, I gave it a seven and a half. Okay. Because I was like, I'm looking, I'm like, there's there's not a lot of crazy stuff going on. And okay. Because like, we we would see like different scenery changing. We saw it last year. We, right. we saw a bunch of people. We saw. Remember Katy Perry? How she had like Correct. seven different scenes going on. But after then, after the halftime show, seeing everything blow up about her, and then finding out she's pregnant, it's like, okay, I'll give it a pass since I know you can't do as much. Correct. You're a little restricted, so I would bump it up to an eight, eight and a half. Because so, the, because there was no mess ups. Correct. She sang really well. It didn't feel like the quality of the music went down with her. Oh singing. no, not at all. Like, Thirteen songs in twelve minutes. Right. That's a, that's that's wild. And she still did a little bit of performing. So it's like, to me, it was still it was a really good performance, especially with what she is having going on. Her the life. dancers <laughs> in the masks and white hoodies was strange. I did not understand. Well, that's usually how it what goes. Was with, happening? That's usually how it goes with the performances. It, it the the dancers were strange. Um, they were thrusting and gyrating in all kinds of weird different positions, and I, I didn't understand it. Um, but no, the the music brought me back to my childhood because especially the older songs, you know, Umbrella, and you know that that's that's our childhood. And then uh, run this town, run this town. Uh, all I, of the lights. I really thought that we were going to see Jay-Z make a performance. Because yeah, whenever well, she had said, it somebody's going to make a performance. It turns out her special guest was the unborn child. <laughs> Correct. Um, so, well played by her, by the way. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about the Super Bowl tomorrow and get you set for LSU and Georgia. Thanks to our guest today, Jay Walker and Koki Riley. And for James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Hug your mom and them. Have an incredible Monday evening, and we'll be back tomorrow, same time, 4 to 6, same station here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.